Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to the Foolishness Podcast. Hope you guys were excited yesterday, jumping into the episode with Justin Unger, Scott Cunningham, unpacking worship and how to encourage the worship leader. Maybe you're struggling, you're facing something, you're at end sometimes with leadership. Lord, how do I use this gift? Tune into that episode. But today we are jumping into something of the same, but a little bit different. I'm a good friend of mine for many years. When I came to faith, Hearing this guy, seeing this guy, he's got all these gifts and talents. He's been used by the Lord. He has wore many hats as a youth pastor, a worship leader, an elder, overseeing many ministries. And many of you are familiar with his voice, very gifted. But most importantly, he's a child of God. He's a husband. He's a dad. And he's here today to encourage us. So, Mr. Dominic Bali, how you doing? <laughs> Good, bro. How are you, man? I'm good, and I want to say that because so many people just said you pronounced his name wrong, Bali, because it rolls off your tongue, but it is Bali, right? It is Bali. Bali like Cali. <laughs> and it's guys, a funny if, story, actually. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because uh, nobody ever pronounced my name wrong my entire life. And granted, I didn't have any kind of like public facing yeah. life, so I don't know. Maybe people would have, <laughs> but I remember when it started being mispronounced. And yeah. I was doing stuff with this guy named Joey Baran uh, in the early 2000s, and yep. he got in his, in his head that my last name was Bali. And because I was doing so many events with him and because Joey was on the radio all the time, every time he was doing an event, I was a part of the event. And so he'd be like, yeah, Dominic Bali and blah, 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 and Dominic Bali, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was with Dominic Bali the other day. And he must I mean, he said my name a thousand times over the course of a year. Yeah. And so the entire, like, Calvary Chapel Yep. Movement of people all heard that. That's who you are. And, and that's who like it, you know, and I, because I was doing so much ministry at Calvary's at the time. Yeah. That started. So is this breaking news that we are setting the record straight? <laughs> because here's what you probably don't know. My son, Dakota, who's 22, who married Cameron, her brother married Joey's daughter, Leah. Oh, <laughs> so we're all related in that yeah, sense. So for those go. guys who don't know, Joey Baran was a very famous professional surfer, like one of the what pipeline masters. Yeah, and just a zealous eighty-one pipeline masters, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's the blonde kid, you know, feisty. He go on his Instagram, Joey Baran, probably, and he dances all of this music. He pastors to this day, but he pretty much birthed that name, and that that's all I've ever known you as. So yeah. When we were talking, you were like, hey, Brian, just so you know, as we get into this, it is pronounced as Cali, like Valley, not like mm -hmm. Barley. So yeah. I guess I'd say this. Um, for me, just knowing about you, here's me coming to faith, going to these events, hearing this guy with this shocking voice. I mean, because what's your ethnicity? What's your family heritage? Yeah, I'm Sicilian and Greek. Crazy. I'm not Jamaican crazy so if you are walking downtown huntington beach and you would hear dominic playing at some of these outreaches or events or music you would think man this is just a reggae guy you could have been from jamaica or wherever but you're what sicilian yeah from california 
My wife is Sicilian and from Naples. Her family's oh, Italian. So yeah. that's crazy. Okay, so you're just like, I'm learning something new every day. But anyway, you are known for this reggae style music and the love of Jesus, all these powerful songs I've heard. But obviously, you were raised with your dad a pastor and even grandpa was a pastor. So you were just, where does this all begin? Yeah, it probably starts a little sooner than that. My mm. My parents uh, got divorced when I was three, which shook things up a lot. And then uh, they both got remarried a couple of years later. My relationship then with my stepdad was pretty toxic and mm. a little scary, honestly. And so there was a lot of like uncertainty in my young years. And then that eventually led me to move out of my mom and stepdad's house and move in with my dad and okay. uh, who was pastoring at the time and had gotten remarried and totally different environment mm. uh so there was this like it was richer spiritually yeah uh, one thing that was lacking though was music because my mom was the musician and so there was all this music in the house growing up in my mom's house mm. and i i was an athlete you know like i never played music but something happened when i moved to my dad's and i was like gosh mm. i gotta play music 12 or 13 i think i you know i told my dad dad i want to play the drums and he was like i'm not getting you a drum set man they're expensive they take up too much room they're too loud but i'll get you acoustic guitar lessons and i was like acoustic guitar that's for country singers man i don't want to play acoustic <laughs> guitar and so i but i got an acoustic guitar thinking it would lead me to drums and i called my mom to tell her uh that i'm going to start taking music lessons cuz i was like she's going to be stoked she's a she's the musician in the family yeah call her and i'm like mom thought you'd be happy. Uh, dad's, dad just bought me a guitar. I'm going to start taking guitar lessons. And on the other end of the line, I just hear silence. And I was like, huh? No. And and then I hear it go. And I was like, mom, aren't you excited? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start playing guitar. And she goes, <laughs> I got to tell you something, sweetheart. Um, you're tone deaf. <laughs> she like, already knew you were tone deaf? What? Oh, yeah. She's like, you've been toned up your whole life. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's all, I love you and you, you're you great at a lot of things, but you can't fix being tone deaf. It's mm. it's something in your brain. That a lot, it's like being colorblind yeah. for music. You can't decipher the difference between It's notes. a DNA thing or result yeah. of the case or whatever you want to say. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. And uh, she was like, I just don't want you to get your hopes up that you'll ever be able to like play music because wow. you can't play music if you're tone deaf. And I was like, whatever, why are you trying to discourage me? And I was a 12, 13-year-old kid. And uh, she must have been right, though, because I started taking guitar lessons. And every week, I'd show up to my guitar lesson, and I'd strum my guitar. And every week, my guitar teacher would do the same thing. He'd be like, oh, man, your guitar's so out of tune. You've been playing that all week with your guitar like that? And I'd be like, I don't know. I couldn't hear that it sounded bad or good. And then as I went on, I, wow. I started trying to sing a little bit. And... You know, when you're tone deaf, everything sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until somebody else would come in the room and they'd be like, hey, man, what What do you say? Why are you doing that? And I'd be like, what do you mean? They're like, you can't sing. And what's wrong with your guitar? Like, it sounds all bad. Like, is there something wrong? Like, people who didn't know music, yeah. I was off pitch and then my guitar was out of tune, but I couldn't hear either. Crazy. And I'd been going to church with my dad and my stepmom for years. And I knew the gospel. I knew that, like, I knew God had sent Jesus yep. to, to redeem me, but, and I knew that was the, I knew it was, Jesus was the only way to the father, but I also loved my sin mm -hmm. and I was really 
honest about it. You know, I would pray sometimes and I'd be like, Hey Lord, I'm going to be honest. Like someday <laughs> I'm going to walk with you, but right now I'm just really liking sin. So after college, my plan is to repent and I'm going <laughs> to Just don't that take like, me right now. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, you know, like growing up in Calvary Chapel, the rapture is like everything, right? Everybody's talking about the rapture <laughs> all the time. So I think it's every, the night somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah. Every time I would come out of the living room and my parents would be like, not there. I'd be like, Oh no. <laughs> game and I didn't go. <laughs> But, but was uh, your mom a believer? Was your like your was she a believer? Like when she was with your dad originally, was he already a believer? Was he pastoring and they separated? Yeah, they would or, have said they were believe. He wasn't pastoring at the time. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, neither of them were like really following the Lord, and my mom got like a bad taste in her mouth. Yep. From stuff with my dad, and so kind of like put off the Bible until mm. until I went to Bible college at eighteen. Yeah. And, out of pride, she was like, I don't want my son to know more about the Bible than me. I better start reading my Bible again. Like, wow. you know, years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, she started washing herself in the word and like, Amen, though. started coming back to Jesus. God used of- pride the right way right there. Yeah. But could you play stuff? Like my dad can pick up a guitar and play anything, but it's all over the place, but he can hear a certain way. So I what people tell me- anything. But if you I taught me how to like move my fingers the right way, yeah, I could emulate you. Yep. Yep. Um, and so like I, I had rhythm, but I couldn't hear if my guitar was out of tune. Crazy. Um, I couldn't hear if things sounded, I couldn't hear if my voice was on pitch. And then 16 yeah. years old, um, I have like an encounter with the Lord at a summer camp and I'm filled with the spirit. Wow. And, uh, I, I go <laughs> home from that camp and I pick up my guitar and I strum it. I've been playing for three or four years at this point. I strum yeah. my guitar. And I was like, oh, man, this thing sounds terrible. <laughs> it was the first time in my life that a guitar had sounded out of tune. Wow. Because when you're tone deaf, everything sounds fine. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? I've never heard my guitar out of tune before. Yeah. And then I opened my mouth to sing. And I was like, that's not the right note. And I was like, wait a minute. I've never not sang the right note before. Because when you're tone deaf, everything sounds like the yeah. right note. Yeah. And it wasn't like I immediately had a good voice. I just could immediately decipher the difference yeah. between right and wrong, musically speaking. So I don't know what happened to it. The way that I assume it happened is yeah, I'm born again. Yeah. The spirit comes on me and in me. And not only does he like transform me spiritually, but like fixes something physiologically. Wow. And something like got fixed and can yeah. be connected in my brain. And he like redeemed a part of my physiology as he was redeeming my soul. <laughs> and so that was when I started yeah. changing the way that I like thought about music. And I started writing songs that were from like a yeah. like, 16-year-old kingdom perspective. Yeah, you're fired up. You've met God. You're excited. Yeah. But did people start noticing? Did whoever was giving you guitar lessons or did your mom, did people start going like, wait a minute, something's happened? Not yet because yeah. – I sang as good as a three-year-old as far mm. as like my tone and pitch. Yeah. I was, dude, I was like 16 years behind the curve. Mm-hmm. So it's like I would sing, but I was <laughs> I was still developed. I was singing the right note, but I was like flat or mm. sharp because I was still like developing my voice. And my tone was terrible because yeah. I hadn't been singing my whole life like most singers. So it took me probably like four years to get to the point where it was like, Oh, your voice! Like I remember the first time somebody said, "You have such a dope voice." I was like, 
23. Yeah, your voice is crazy. I'll, I'll put some on. I'll, I'll pull up Spotify in a second, just put it in the camera. But I cannot even imagine what you're talking about. Like, that sounds crazy. You just seem like the guy that just, I mean, your smile and your posture, you know, and obviously the dreads and that, the way you sound when you just open your mouth is like, oh, he just was doing this in diapers. <laughs> you know? No, dude, I have recordings. <laughs> Please okay, send them just for me. Okay. This, is a, this, is, a fun, this is a fun little story. This is a great story. Yeah. So my mom's writing songs her whole life, right? So when I'm like nine years old, she writes a kid's album. It's called Learn Something New. <laughs> Learn Something New. You can still get it. And and she, there were six kids in the house. And so she wanted us to all sing on the album. It's a kid's album. So we go into the studio and uh, we're all singing all these parts. And halfway through the first day, the producer pulls my mom into the control room and he's like, hey, can you come here? And I got to talk to you. And he's like, hey, the, the middle kid, the boy, what's his name? And she's like, oh, Dominic. And he's like, I think he's tone deaf. And she's like, I know, but what was I going to do? I couldn't leave him at home. I'm cold to love him. And so she, he's like, well, well, we'll just stick him in the back. I'll try to get him far away from the microphone. And maybe you can give him like a rap song where he doesn't have to sing. And so she gave me this song called The Reading Rap, where I'm just like talking about how cool reading is. And uh, <laughs> just a few years ago, actually, she saw that producer. His name's Steve Lester. Yeah. And he was like, hey, how are your kids? How's Dominic? And she was like, oh, here, go go check out his music. And she she sends him a link. Wow. And he calls her and he's like, hold on. Is that him singing? <laughs> And she's like, yeah, that's him singing. And he's like, I don't even, I can't even, what, what are you talking? This is not the same person. And then he's like, who's, who's writing this stuff? And she's like, oh, that's him writing. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, well, who's the producer, man? This stuff is pretty, well, he produced all of his stuff. He's like, who recorded it? Well, he recorded all of this stuff. Like he, his mind was like, but it was actually a pretty cool, like testimony to the, yeah. the miraculous power of God. This guy wasn't a believer, you know? Well, Anyways. I need to go down that route, though, but you do see these videos. And I won't go into names for the sake of it, but you do see these, you know, that whole soul of souls to Satan and all the rest of it years ago. I'm sure everyone, you guys watching those videos, you see these artists on the other scale who say, hey, we had encounters. There was things that empowered us and did things. So if the enemy is doing things that are false in his name, then God can do the real thing. And if God was just like, you know what, Dominic, you're a worship leader. These are the positions I've got for you. Your gift will make room for you. So you come to faith, you're fired up, but you start off really getting involved in church, what, in San Diego, at some your youth pastoring and doing stuff. How did that unfold? Your, your dad's a pastor. Did he pull you in or did you just start, I'm going to go serve the Lord somewhere? Yeah, so I started leading worship at 16. Um, and my grandpa... I get like, I get email every time I think about mm. it because it's so special. But um, my grandpa had been pastoring a church in Palm Springs for years. And he was, the, he was actually the first person who ever let me play an instrument on stage. I was 14 years old. Years old. I wasn't even walking with the Lord, but they needed mm. a bass player at the church. And he was just trying to keep me close, you know? And so he's like, come play, come play on the team, you know? And I was like, well, it's like musicians. I get to play on a stage, you know? And so I did. I started playing <laughs> worship music at 14, even though I wasn't following Jesus. Yeah. And then I'm 16 years old. And uh, he was like, hey, why don't you come lead worship at like our Sunday night service? It was the first time somebody asked me to lead worship in front of adults. Keep in mind, yeah, I wasn't tone deaf anymore, but I could barely sing, dude. I yeah. did not have a good voice yeah. at all. And, but he like saw something. 
he like saw something and called me up into that. So Amen. kept doing that, you know, for years, but never he affirmed thought. what he saw and was believing in you. And that was like a, yeah. He affirmed what he saw and what he like foresaw, you know, which wow. is pretty like cool and prophetic. <laughs> and he has a gift to do that with a lot of people. He's still pastoring out there now. Mm. Um, but I never thought like I would get asked to do that other places. I never thought somebody would hire me to do that yeah. or pay me to do that or that I could put a song I wrote on a record yeah. and somebody would pay money for it or like take time out of their night to come see me. Yeah. That was like, it was, it was so far from my mind that I wouldn't have even considered it as a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have friends who publish movies and stuff. And I know the times we've chatted in the past, I'm like, Hey, this guy's doing a film. If I've said, sent anyone anything, they're like, this stuff is amazing. It's like, it's so high level. I'm sure there's people in the secular world. And I mean, very famous musicians who, when they hear it, they're like, this is sick. You know what I mean? It's, it's that level where, and it's original. I mean, it's a style of music, but you just hear it and that warmth and we know you're talking about jesus and it's pushing in and so much of what's going on so so you're there saying i worship this one night now it goes to what where you partner with a church in san diego or it's yeah i was actually in bible college when it all kind of like changed like the music thing changed for me um i planned on going to bible college for a semester never wanted to get into church ministry my dad did that i had zero desire to do that i was going to go to the musicians institute in hollywood to learn to produce Mm. And I didn't honestly even have like a kingdom mindset about it. I was just like, yeah, dude, I'll just go be a Christian in the industry, like whatever. Yeah. Um, but then my first semester of Bible college, God spoke to me as clear as he's ever spoken to me. And he said, I want to use your songs to um, show the world who I am. And I was like, mm. what do you mean my songs? Like I'm barely writing anything. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> But it was so powerful that I, I knew that it had to do with like me writing songs and then recording songs. And so it changed mm. my whole course of action. I stayed at Bible college, didn't go to the musicians Institute, started writing songs, started a band. Joey brand showed up, heard my stuff. He was doing a lot of outreach at the time. Tried I, to rename I, you. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to rename me, <laughs> started having me out at these events. Uh, and then right in the middle of all of that, I'm like, okay, God's doing his thing. And I get a call from a church in San Diego saying, Hey, uh, why don't you come be a youth pastor down here? And I was like, heck no, I don't be a youth pastor. I'm doing this music thing. And they were like, well, are you like making money doing that? I was like, no, but this is like my calling. Like I'm doing this. And they were like, well, we could like hire you. Like you get paid to do this. And I was about to get married at the time. And so my mm. wife, my fiance, who's now my wife was like, Hey, this is like a real job. Like we need money. Like how are we going to live? And you're not really getting paid. Married people are adults. Yeah. Yeah. So I said yes to that youth pastor thing. Uh, I was terrible. I hated it. I was terrible at it, dude. I was I was the worst youth pastor. Why uh, you didn't like the kids, or, or you were focused on the, the wrong kids, things, or what? I Just... didn't like when it comes to like teaching the Bible. Yeah, I'm like an exhorter, not an explainer. So like when I'm trying to like yeah. teach a verse by verse Bible study, which is like how yeah. the, the culture was in the church I was at. Um, it's not my like. Top mm. gift certainly wasn't when I was 21 years old. And then like administrative stuff, you're running <laughs> like a small little business as a youth pastor, dude. I didn't know how to do any of that. I learned how to do that stuff over the years, but it was still left-handed. I just like learned how to do it, right? Yeah, it wasn't you're forced. Core competency. So like leading worship for the youth was awesome. Like loving on the kids, yeah. praying with them, whatever. Awesome. But that was about it. You know, so I just, I don't know. I just wasn't made for that. 
Yeah, so I was there for a couple of years. Yeah. And then uh, had a pretty crazy, again, like calling from the Lord for us to move from there up to where we're at now um, to a church called Reality. But did you uh, wrote an album yet or no? Like, when did that? That's a good question. Yeah. Cause I know it's in the middle list somewhere. I'm yeah, just trying to keep you actually, track. Dude, that's well. a good. No, that's a good. Because you uh, sound like me when you're saying basically we don't have the gift of administration, right? But yeah. I can write a book. I can produce a podcast. I can do things. If you're like, Brian, come up and speak for 10 weeks, I can do that. But yeah. if you're like, get 15 people to respond to emails on the same day, <laughs> I'm like, call Dominic. <laughs> you know, he did some youth pastor. No, don't, so. don't call me. <laughs> uh, but that's how God made us. You know, if you have that voice and gifting and your passion is is wrestling with the words and putting it out to the world, he'll help you to do enough. But then you do need to depend on others. That's the way God made us at his body. So yeah. you're there, you're about to transition. When did you put an album together and release? Because those who were listening, I mean, this album would blow up and, and in many ways change your life and fulfill all the promises the right. Lord made. So before that happened, I had to get broken. Mm. Um, it's a weird thing. And I would, I would encourage like younger believers uh, or just people who haven't been walking with the Lord very long, but something I didn't know at the time. I'm 18 years old. God speaks to me prophetically. It's like, so clear that he wants to use my music. Yeah. I thought, okay, you have given me the, ch- the, the, the marching orders. Now I will go fulfill the thing that you have told me you were going to do instead <laughs> of you spoke to me. I will now watch you fulfill the thing that you told me you were going to do. That's good. Right? Yeah. Different. <laughs> and so I like took it into my own hands and started a band. It was making this thing happen and I was, I'm a driven person, dude. So I was grinding. I was like pioneering, forging mm. a way forward and trying to push down doors. And, and it, I got so obsessed with it that it mm. became everything to me. It became my identity. It became my joy. Uh, it became wow. my reason for being alive. This like thing God had called me to, AKA idolatry. And right in the middle of all that my bass player and my singer came to me who were like two of my best friends and they said hey dude your voice just isn't good enough uh which was true at the time i don't think we're ever going to go anywhere we're out Hmm. and they shut the band down and i was left with this thing being destroyed and it also felt like my calling had been taken yeah so i was angry i was angry at god i was like torn apart i felt like I shouldn't, I, there's no reason to be alive. Honestly, if I'm not doing music, I shouldn't even be alive. That tells you how much you'd lifted that thing up because right. that became your source. That was like your Isaac, you know, taking a son up on the mountain, ready to slay him. Are you willing to put that on the altar basically before the Lord? Was the band called Dominic Bali? What was the band no, called? At the time it was called Ambassadors for Christ, which was like the most, uh, like gospel name I could possibly come up with a Bible scripture. Yeah. Like, like legalistic, just like, but passionate Bible college kid ambassadors for Christ. Yeah. And then we eventually realized that probably wouldn't get us into any secular doors. So we changed it to city light was the name of the band. It was the same band. So at that time it was called city light. Yeah. Uh, Kind of same style rock reggae type thing with a little hip hop. Um, but make sure you say this, because this is important. You weren't doing this for the wrong reasons. I mean, I'm sure in the flesh, in some ways you were, but you were honestly trying to honor God for the business owner, for the podcaster, for the surfer or or whatever. 
you couldn't be doing things and you're trying to do it, you know, for God. And, and that, why wouldn't we? That's what we're aiming at. You know what I mean? So, but in that, God had to say, hey, I've got to change some stuff to show you what you just profoundly said. It was what his word to you was in that season. The band, the band members bail. Your your mom's voice comes back like your tone deaf son. The producer's voice comes back. So now what happens? You're discouraged. You're at this youth pastor stage. What takes place? Yeah, and I'm angry at God because I'm like, what are you doing? You said you were going to do this, and I tried to make it happen, and I was mm. doing this for you, and now it's gone. And I was very angry for three months, and yeah. I wouldn't listen to whatever he wanted to say. But finally, I stopped, and I said, all right, here I am. What What's going on? And he spoke to me so clearly. He said, Dominic, I, I didn't send Jesus to die on a cross and raise from the dead so that you could do ministry so that you could write songs so that you could tell people about me. That's mm -hmm. not why I did that. I did that so that you could be with me. Mm -hmm. That's why I sent Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted. That's what I've always wanted. I just wanted you. Mm -hmm. And that's what your life's about. It's not about the thing I call you to. It's about, it's about you and me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And it changed everything for me. And so at that moment, I like figuratively handed my guitar to the Lord and I was like, I'm sorry I made this an idol. I don't ever want to try to write songs again. Mm. I, I I know I lost my chance. You know, I was still kind of in this like legalistic mindset. I was like, I know I lost my chance to do what you called me to do. Um, I'll, if I write songs, I'll just share them with my wife and I'll, I'll keep leading worship at church because the worship thing was never like part of the idolatry. It was just yeah. music. So I like handed the guitar to the Lord felt the sweet connection with him, went on living, moved from San Diego to Carpinteria to help um, with this new church called yeah. Reality and joined the team there, started leading worship, um, which was like a breath of fresh air for us. It just felt like home. It was like such a sweet team. It was just like God was moving and so god didn't make you tone deaf again though right no no he didn't he, like, he, he didn't take my gift back it was grace and mercy but what you're saying and keep going on but it's important to notice because for the worship leader for someone that was a pro skater i'm getting up doing tricks to take photos to put into a magazine to present something and though it's something i love it is a platform I mean, we only need to look at, you know, supposedly Satan, you could say, was a worship angel. It's it's someone that's in the forefront of things, so there can be a wrong intention. So you lay the guitar aside, you go up, you're around Britt Merrick. Was Tim Chaddock and all those guys a part of that yet? Or? Tim was not yet there. Tim came about a year later, maybe six months later, and, and then Reality Los Angeles started about a year after that. So wow. yeah, I'm up there with Britt and the team, and it's awesome. God's moving. I have Amen. given up on ever... Uh, writing songs again. Um, <laughs> but right around then, my wife inherited 20 grand and uh, she was like, Hey, I think we need to buy recording equipment with this. And I think you should start learning how to produce so that we can just produce other people's music. And maybe we can start some kind of ministry where we're like helping other musicians. Yeah. And I was like, That'd be awesome. So, you know, when my wife said, I want to spend my $20,000 on recording equipment, I didn't argue. <laughs> and did it that. wasn't like Eve in the garden. No, you were, you were like, Lord, I believe this is you. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to pray about it, baby. I, yes. And amen. But what you said, I want people to hear this. When God said, I just want you to spend time with me, that is loving the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind. Then the second is like it, loving your neighbor. 
Mm-hmm. So the Great Commission has to follow our time with the Lord. You know, and, and even in Ezra, I was going to unpack this yesterday on the podcast, but we didn't go into time. But in Ezra, when they're rebuilding, they go out into this nation where things are crazy. And what's amazing is the first thing they build is the altar. If it was me, I would build the moat and the wall and some spiky fences and get some catapults and, you know, get everyone doing jujitsu and everything. They just start with the altar. They start with the presence of God and then they sing and they worship. So God was saying, okay, Dom, I'm humbling you. Here's where we are. You're married. You're up there serving. Your wife's about to put some money into a studio. Yeah. Uh, and then right after that, I got a call from some church in Southern California who I'd done some ministry with previously. And they were like, hey, can you, uh, can you come play a show down here or like an outreach concert? And I was like, Oh, I don't do that anymore, man. I'm, I'm done with that. Sorry. And they said, well, can you at least pray about it? And I was like, sure. And so I got off the phone and I was like, I just chucked up a little prayer. I was like, uh, God, I told these people I pray about this. You want me to do this? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, no, oh, what are you talking about? And I felt like he was handing me back the guitar that I had given him like two years prior. And I was Amen. like, Oh no, 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 no. Remember what happened? Like it was idolatry. And he was like, yeah, that was, that was, that, we've gone through some stuff now. It's different now. I want you to, mm-hmm. but now you're following me into this. Yeah. And it was just wow. a, a different mindset and heart set, you know, too. Cause I would just, he broke me, dude. Like he just like, brought me down to nothing. And so wow, I was like, all right. So I kind of took it like reluctantly back and started writing some songs. I went and played this outreach concert and that was the beginning of me kind of feeling like, whoa, this is different. It's like same style music. Yeah. I still have the same objective. You know, I'm just like trying to bring the kingdom and trying to bring truth, but mm-hmm. I'm doing it like not, I'm not holding it as like part of my identity and like yep. my my life and my joy. It's just like something that God is inviting me to do. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I put out, actually put out a, an EP first. It was like my first thing I ever produced and um, it was poorly recorded, you know, poorly mixed and, uh, but it got me in the door at like venues, you know, that had like reggae shows. And so I started getting asked to play little places around town in Ventura County and Santa Barbara County. And then mm-hmm. eventually got me into like some battle of the bands types things down in like Los Angeles where there was record labels there. And, um, and it was all, you know, secular stuff. And uh, <laughs> even eventually that eventually got me connected with a venue here. And so it was like when Ziggy Marley came to town, Hey, we got this dude, Dominic Bally. He's in town. Why don't we have him come? And, and then the Santa Barbara uh, independent, which is like the independent magazine in Santa Barbara. Yeah. You know, they started writing articles on me and I was on the, on the, I was on the cover. Cause you're their hometown boy. You're putting you on the cover. You're with Ziggy Marley and all these, but here's the thing people need to realize you are going there as a believer, as a pastor, as a worship leader, as a husband, as someone who's been humbled. So whatever realm you're in, you're just like, all right, Lord, here we are. And as you're going in, not getting high as, you know, all kites and partying and chasing women, that's a witness in itself to begin. So if I'm Dominic's pastor and he's like, I'm going to go do all this stuff, I'm like, you're going as a believer to do this, you know? Yeah. So, Yeah, man. So started doing that and then eventually put out my first full length album about a year later. And to my surprise, it debuted at like number two on the iTunes reggae chart. So it was like, you know, Bob Marley's legend album, Dominic Valley public announcement was like you know, <laughs> the next album. And uh, that was when I was like, Oh, 
there's like something happening here. This is crazy. And what was interesting about that at the time is because God had, the way that God spoke to me about my music was I knew that he wanted to use it as kind of like an evangelistic tool. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I interpreted that as that means I don't play Christian shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Christians don't need the music. Yep. The non-believers need the music. And so I would get asked to play at churches all the time and I would just say no. Yeah. And I would only say yes to clubs. And <laughs> I remember when that changed for me because I was on this club tour and there was nobody there. There was like seven people a night going up and down the West Coast. And at the end of that tour, I had said yes to this church show. It was me and Sean McDonald. I was opening for Sean McDonald. I go into the room and there's like a thousand people there. And they're like excited and they're pumped and we're getting treated well. And I got paid well. And I was like, dude, this was amazing. Like, what am I, you know, like, this is too easy. Like I should be back in the clubs. And I remember feeling like, like I, I was starting to kick against the goads. Like God was opening up all these doors in the church Yeah, and the doors in the clubs and stuff weren't opening. Like I thought they were. Yeah. So I was just like, man, I'm trying to do this thing because that's my interpretation of what I think God said I was supposed to yeah. do. But the doors that are opening are over here. And so I kind of like finally came to my senses and was like, I'm just going to say yes to where the doors are. And I started going in that path and it became a lot more of like a, a church Christian, like yeah. everything I was doing was way more in that realm. And what I didn't realize until probably five years later was that the way that God used my music and still does yeah. in the lives of non-believers was often through the church and through believers, mm -hmm. like putting my album and being like, oh my gosh, I got to show this to my brother who doesn't know the Lord. Because it's amazing and you're gifted and it's not just someone clapping and singing in the corner. You know, it's, I'll tell you this and then go on. I go to jujitsu and roll three or four times a week. And my professor at jujitsu has music that comes on and your music comes on because he's Brazilian yeah. um, family in Hawaii. So you hear this and no that's way. my friend Dominic and that's yeah. that and we're Christians. So yeah, the church is being evangelistic. Awesome. So, but I like what you said. This is relevant. The Lord wants to use it all to do everything. You know, if the doors are open and again, it's not sin. Okay, Lord. And maybe God would provide for your family through that. So when you ever play to other shows, okay, you can go. So anyway, go on. I'm just trying to- Here's my favorite, here's my favorite two stories. powerful it is. Yeah. I'm going to give you my favorite two stories of how, how God's done this. <laughs> Number one, San Diego. I meet this dude at a church. He comes up to me. He says, I want to say thank you for your music. Uh, this song, Warrior, like mm. brought me to faith. And I said, "What? how? He said, well, I was going to school at San Diego State and I was at a party. Everyone's stoned out of their minds. Everyone's drunk out of their minds. But your music was somehow playing on the the back at the, the music. It was the party music. Not and somehow. I happened to be yeah. standing next to a speaker <laughs> where this, and the song warrior came on. He's like, I was high out of my mind. I was addicted to Coke and warrior came on. And it was like, the Holy spirit came through the speakers into my body. I immediately got sober, came to faith in Jesus, went to church the next week. Here I am three years later. Amen. Crazy. Second Amen. story. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Uh, in 2017, 18, I was doing a bunch of house show tours. So I was playing these house shows in people's backyards and living rooms. And, uh, and I do this one in somewhere in Washington state and the, the host of the home, 
he he doesn't tell me this beforehand. He tells me after the show. He said, "Hey, I want to tell you a story." He said, "I'm a I'm a pastor now of a church, but uh, 15, 14 years ago, I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't a believer. I was living in Southern California, mm. and I bought a truck from somebody who was going to the Bible college uh, in that city, and apparently they were a fan of your music. And I bought the truck, and they had left your album." in the CD player. <laughs> and I call them the day after and I'm like, Hey, you left this, a CD in here. Do you want me to come give it to you? And they said, no, I left that in there for you. Listen to it. It's a good album. And so it was the only CD I had in the truck. And so I kept, I love reggae and it, I, I was listening to it and I was like, this is dope. I kept listening to it over and over and truth kept coming in. And I was like, I don't know what happened, but I had to go to church. And Amen. so I went to church, got saved few years later, I'm a pastor, and now I'm playing a house show in his house. In Amen. And guys, we got to boast in this. Listen, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast were skaters who 15, 20 years ago were buying my shoes in Zoomies or something. What is Brian up to today? They found a podcast. They're hearing you. God uses all these things. Yes, the gospel is proclaimed, and it's very clear, and we see Jesus presenting it. But the way he's speaking to Dominic or the way he ministers to me or you, that's not extra biblical. That's the Holy Spirit. The canon of scripture is closed. But how many people does God use in those scenarios? For my wife's dad, who loves reggae music, when we've had events downtown and you've come and played and he's been there, for my dad, you know, my dad back in England, we're, we're, we're music critics. I mean, we're from Liverpool. What are you going to say to us? You know what I mean? He loves all this kind of music. He can listen to your stuff, listen to Josh Harmony stuff, listen to Josh Garrell stuff because it's good music. And I've always pushed back on that. We've got to be Bob Dylan relevant, the cool, trendy Christian. So the world accepts us. We're just called to live in the world as we are, just like you said, walking out your relationship with Jesus. So, so that happens. The album takes off. Do you have any kids yet? Or are you still doing more ministry or what's yeah, happened? Yeah, at the we time? had two kids by then. Yeah, we had two kids and we had miscarried twins by then. Um, yep. So I'm still working at the church part time and then I'm doing music and actually Scott Cunningham, you had him on yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he was actually pretty pivotal at this time in my life. I didn't see him very often, but I, I was at a event at Calvary Costa Mesa where he was at and he was like, dude, your music's taking off. You're touring. Um, but you're still at the church. Like, how are you doing that? And I just started <laughs> crying in front of him and I was like, I'm not. <laughs> and he was like, Oh man, well, which one do you think is, you know, the Lord is in. And I was like, dude, I know God's in this music thing, but like, I love my church. I don't want to not be there. And so yeah. the next day I sat down with, uh, Brit and one of the other guys and was just like, Hey, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do both of these. And so I went off staff, um, in a step of faith, honestly, I wasn't making enough money. Like I was playing yeah. a lot, but I wasn't making enough money to provide yeah. for my wife and two kids. And so I went off staff and this is a, a pretty cool, like little faith story. Yeah. Like, I knew, well, it's kind of funny the night before my meeting with those pastors, my pastors, my wife and I were sitting with each other and we were like, Hey, stuff seems kind of easy right now. We're like, I got my church salary and I'm making some money with like mm -hmm. music and financially it felt like nice. I yeah. was like, we'd always really struggled, you know, financially, but we were at this place where it's like, if I want to just buy some $200 shoes, I just buy them. Like it was weird, like a nice. Mm -hmm. And we were like, this feels weird. Like we feel like we're not having to like trust God for our finances anymore. And it, is this okay? And so we got on our knees and we prayed, Lord, 
can you make us need you again? Mm. The next day, my pastors call me in their office and ask me that question. Hey, how are you going to do both the church thing and your music thing? And I was like, I, I started crying, you know, I was like, I think I just need to do the music thing. Mm. And they were like, all right, cool. Yeah, man. Why don't you, you know, take the next 30 days and then you'll be done. And so I called my wife and I was like, Hey babe, remember that prayer we played last <laughs> night about needing God again? Well, I just lost my job. And she was like, <laughs> but they were blessing you and saying, Hey, oh, this is the realm you're, they didn't fire me, you know? Yeah. Well, like, just so people know, because Britt Merrick is the son of, you know, legendary surf shaper Al Merrick. Right. So you're up there in that whole surf community. Britt has been pivotal in people like Sarah Yardley's life. Many of the guys you guys are around, Tim Chaddock. Was it Chad? Who was it? Um, the Amicos. Yeah. That's who the whole, you know, the Bradley family and our family, yeah. who Dakota married into, okay. they're all friends. I know Chad. Yeah. So you step out, music's thriving. And just for people who, you know, you are on YouTube, even just if you just see, you know, this is Spotify with Dom right here. I mean, this is, I remember these songs and I mean, I don't want to get it taken down. You know, I put this online, but I'm saying the music and you're singing about tongues of angels and things that Daniel saw, it just sticks to the heart. So this has taken off. How many albums are out at the time? And then how many years is music until you kind of. Yeah, I'm about to release my second album at that point. Okay. And, uh. I thought when we stepped out to do music full time um, that we would lose our house and we'd end up in an RV, but we were willing to do it. I was like, God's calling us to do this. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll move into an RV and get on the road. All right, no problem. But the day after I stepped down from being at the church, uh, a stranger called me and said, hey, man, I heard about what you're doing. And God told me I'm supposed to give you $10,000. <laughs> and which I think, you know, when you're 25 years old, $10,000 seems like a million bucks. Mm -hmm. And uh, now it's like I can spend $10,000 in a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Just not uh, on shoes, right? No, not on shoes. I'm like, I'm like one month of my daughter's tuition at Biola. <laughs> <laughs> but this does happen, right? I mean, I stepped out in faith. My church told me, Brian, you get calls nonstop to go speak at the most random places, a rehab that I don't want anything from, um, a school I don't expect to get paid, to do a marriage I don't want to charge people or say no. And I stepped out in faith and people began to support mm -hmm. and they believe. And as I said earlier, the gift will make room. So you step out, a stranger called, you begin touring, and then what? How, the, the Lord just boasts in those next yeah, few years. Right, yeah, right around then, uh, I was... I'd become kind of like acquaintances with this guy named Mark Moore, who had started a band called Christafari, which was the first yeah. like publicly known gospel reggae band in the world. And he he had started my dreads for me. Like I didn't know how to start white guy dreads and he had started them for me. <laughs> and so I saw him at a gas station in LA and I was like, Mark, dude, I, I released an album last year. Uh, here's a copy. And I give it to Mark and he's like a reggae purist. And he calls me, you know, 47 minutes later, however long my album was. That's 47 funny. Minutes later, I love it. He says, hey, dude, I just got done listening to your entire album. I'm a reggae purist. I don't like rock reggae and reggae hip hop. But, dude, this album is unbelievable. Mm. Will you let me write a review on it? And I was like, sure. He <laughs> writes a review that week. And in the review, he says, this is the single best reggae album since Bob Marley's Exodus album. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
I guess like the, the Lord's like moving. This is like maybe this is good. I don't know. And then he he called me about a week after that and said, Hey, uh, I want to invite you to Brazil with us. We have a huge fan base in Brazil. And I think if you say yes, it'll be like the best decision you've ever made career-wise. Amen. And so I said yes to that. We played 23 shows in 25 days, and I learned how to say uh it's okay to copy the CD in Portuguese. <laughs> so because you just wanted to go everywhere, right? Yeah, I just I was like, dude, I just I'm gonna spread the stuff as best I can. And so people bought albums and I told them to copy them for free. You know, it was kind of like pre it was pre-Spotify. There was no yeah. streaming. It was 2009. And uh and then six months later, that promoter called or that the agent from down there called and was like, hey, man, I'm getting requests for you to come back by yourself. You know, let's put together a tour. And I was yeah. like, all right. And I had been doing so many like church shows and club shows. I had never really heard people sing my music. Like it wasn't there was no like hardcore fans like reggae is not huge in the U.S. You know, like there's like yeah, yeah. Southern California, maybe Florida. Like there's some pockets where Oregon. Yeah. Colorado, but it's not not, not much. It's yeah. not happening like people who were just like, oh my gosh. But I went back on that to Brazil and it was the first time I heard anybody sing my music, which was crazy because they didn't speak English, but yeah. they were singing <laughs> every word of my songs. And uh yeah, wow. that was kind of the beginning of what would become the next 10 years of me touring and putting out my second album and a, a Christmas album that ended up getting picked up by like Kroger grocery stores and Ralph. Yeah. And, and then my next album, you know, which actually, you know, funny enough, I yeah. had a song get picked up from a, a big like blockbuster hit that was, you know, it was rated R like yeah. without thieves. Yeah. Called Den of thieves. And they, you know, my song is like a, a background song at like a barbecue where everyone's like hanging out, eating and drinking or whatever. And I remember like sitting with the Lord, like, dang, Lord, is this okay? Like, I'm going to get paid good for this, but I don't like condone what's happening in this movie. Yeah. And it was two things that came to mind. It was like, number one, um, how cool is it that the movie's money is going to supporting a kingdom like yeah. minister a parachurch kind of- ministry in a sense that's out yeah. there you're the witness yeah and then two like these are the type of people that jesus did life with and mm-hmm. me just being in the conversation allowed like the spirit in me Amen. and then like god with us <laughs> to enter the room you know like well, it- paul didn't only make tents for believers you know, and I, again, it's the style of what you're doing. So sure. people are singing to you in Brazil. I'm going to go online on YouTube and find some of these videos because I, you know, reggae is just a different thing altogether. But I will say to people that are tuning in, go listen to Warrior. I mean, all you need is love and Road to Zion. I just love that song, you know. The, so so this is blowing up. The Lord's already humbled you prior to this. Um, and how many years ago is this now? Like eight, nine, 10, maybe 15? Yeah, probably fits 14, something like this, like 2008, nine. The first time I went to Brazil was 2009. Wow. Yeah. And, and it just took off and that was... It, it was very fast, dude. Like the first tour that I did with my own shows, there was like two to 500 people a night singing every lyric. And there was only 10 shows, you know, it was small, but I was like, I've never experienced this before. Like mm. I was doing so many church outreaches 
where there was just a built-in crowd, but they weren't there because they loved my music. Yeah. I'd never, I'd never done shows like this. And so it changed, it changed everything for me, man. Like I, yeah, yeah it gave me opportunities. I just didn't have before. Right. You know, a couple mm. years after that, while I was in Brazil on tour, I get a call from NBC and they asked me, they say, Hey man, we heard your music online and uh, we're, we want you to join the cast of the voice. Would you like, come and be on this show. We'll give you like a fast track to pass the 10,000 people down to like the 120 people yeah. and get you in front of our producers. And so I did that whole game and, you know, it didn't go anywhere, but yeah, man, the doors <laughs> have been crazy that have, I didn't know that that's great experience though, to go do all that. Cause you know, then you have the whole other side of the music industry that I don't know how deep you want to go in there anyway. Like it's all been skewed to some degree where it seems like once you get to a certain level where you're just, you're so controlled now and all the rest. But I guess practically to people listening, how would you then say for people to find their gift? You know, like obviously, you know, I'm not a musician, so it isn't going to be music wise, but some people do have gifts. They get discouraged. If you'd have walked away because of the tone deaf idea, if you'd have walked away from the band members, there is an element of stubbornness that can get in the way. But but I know the answer is the Lord's leading, but how would you just put that to someone like, this this ministers to me with skating or with music or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of different kinds of gifts, right? Like there's a spiritual gifts we see in scripture, mm -hmm. um, which I don't think you're necessarily referring to. In that realm, you know, I always tell people like, well, because the gifts are given to us for the edification of the body, Amen. just start trying to edify the body. Just start trying to like serve and encourage and your gifts will show up. Yep. That's how it happens with spiritual gifts in the church with the just like giftings from God, whether it be like, you know, skating or some athletic thing or a speaking yeah. gift or a administrative, you know, thing or a music gift. What it seems like to me, it, what and what I would encourage people with is don't um don't take for granted the things that are in you that you're passionate about. What mm -hmm. often happens is I, I really just want to play the drums. And it's like, well, everybody wants to play the drums. And so you brush it off as it being like not a God-given thing. Mm -hmm. Or, oh man, I can't wait to skate. Well, yeah, dude, all my friends skate. Mm. Like it, you assume it's not the Lord because yeah, everybody does it. Or because it's so normal to you that yeah. you want to skate that it doesn't seem like profound. Yep. But what I've often seen is like, the stuff that doesn't seem profound that we just kind of like brush over is actually the thing that is like yeah. special about us. Case yeah. in point, I love Shark Tank. I was watching Shark Tank a few months ago. We watched it last night. You did? Nice. <laughs> and this couple came on and they their pitch was like a song. And I was like, oh, this is funny. It has something to do with music. And so they present their business and their business is they start saying, sharks, what if somebody could write you a personalized song and in 24 hours send you a, a rough recording of a song and and for only $700, blah, blah, blah. And as they're pitching this thing, mm -hmm. I'm like, this is so stupid. I could do this in my sleep. Like, this mm -hmm. is dumb. The sharks are never going to go for this. Every single shark responded <laughs> with an offer. They started competing against each other. And I'm sitting there because I always work Shark Tank and I always put myself in like the place of the, the business owner. And I'm like... Yeah. What would I pitch, you know, if I had a yeah. business and how would I do it? And it totally didn't cross my mind that like my mm. core competency is like valuable 
yeah. to the world and to these like billionaires who are sitting there. And I'm, I'm not going to go pitch anything to the sharks, but yeah, it made me realize, oh, wow, we take for granted the things that God has gifted us with yeah. that don't seem supernatural to us because they're just a part of us. So like tune into that thing. That's what I would say. To yeah. Tune into that thing that's in you that just might seem like normal to you. Yeah. So it kind of is just saying, come into agreement with the Holy Spirit. And I love what you said to begin to serve, go move chairs, go drive someone in the car, go give someone groceries, go sing a song to someone, do whatever you're doing, sing out of tune if you have to, and that way it will make room, but don't overlook the passion or even the practicality. Why did Paul make tents? I mean, he was brilliant. He could have done so many things. So I know you've only got you know a little bit more time left, but I'd say that another thing that's really important is because you've been a worship leader and because there's kind of, I don't know if you see my cat showing up to redirect the, the room right now, and <laughs> um, they always come hang out when we're doing podcasts. But I guess what I'd say is, how do you help pastors understand their walk with worship leaders? Because mm-hmm. we're fortunate at our home church where, you know, our worship leader, Brian Albright, has the best relationship with our pastor, Andrew Shea. So it's like a team. But for a lot of worship leaders, they kind of just feel like they're thrown in there. They get hired to grow the church. If the numbers aren't there, they're moved on. It isn't a family feel. How would you, if you and I were planning a church and I was a lead pastor and you were the worship leader, what's the best way for us to understand that? Just to encourage, you know, many worship leaders will listen to this. So Yeah, because although we've been talking about my original music, which is not worship music and not necessarily played at churches what i didn't share was the backdrop to all of that stuff for the last 15 years yeah has been that, like i was a worship leader at church still even when i wasn't on staff i was i'd lead worship every time i was home mm-hmm. when i would go travel if i had a sunday available i'd go guest lead worship somewhere else and i wasn't you know doing like reggae worship or whatever i was just doing normal white guy western like <laughs> worship whatever was being sung at the time and i still do that i'm leading worship this sunday at my church reality ventura yeah. so there has been a backdrop of thousands and thousands of hours honestly of leading worship and interacting with pastors at hundreds of different churches across the world so that is such a good and important question that you asked Brian honestly because uh it's not something that church planners think about they think about i want to preach well i want to lead well i want to cast vision well mm-hmm. and gosh if i can just get a guy who's good at that music thing over there or a gal who's good at that music thing over there yeah. then they can take care of that thing over there and everything will be fine not realizing that because they're the one with the speaking voice, yeah, they are also the main culture carrier of everything yeah. in the church. And because the musical worship component takes up like half of, or like at our church, more than half of our gathering time, mm-hmm. uh, the culture's got to come from the person who is speaking, who like, yeah. is preaching, right? Yep. Because the, the worship leader is only singing. They're generally not like teaching things. Yeah. So- Number one, uh, I would say to pastors and like, dude, I was a lead pastor for years at this intern. You're not stepping on toes. You're okay. Scott Cunningham said <laughs> the same thing. We don't want to go after pastors, but we want worship leaders because likewise, likewise, ministry even exists because so many worship leaders come out burned out, feeling like, I just feel like an idiot on the stage playing a guitar and the passion's gone because of yeah. the pastor commanding the rule. So yeah. Yeah. What often happens is... uh First of all, pastors, we have a tendency to think that we know everything about everything. 
because we're in this like very authoritative position. And then secondly, because mm. people in the congregation assume that we know stuff about stuff. And so I had somebody call me on the way up here from our church asking me advice about a marital thing that I was like, hey, dude, this is out of my league. Yeah. Like you need to go to a marriage counselor. The only thing I have to offer you is what the Bible says, which your particular case, the Bible doesn't say anything. There's like some yeah. basic principles about character I could share with you. Yeah. But, or I could share my own personal experience, but I don't have a personal experience with what you're dealing with. So yeah. you got to find a marriage counselor. But instead what pastors often do is like we give feedback. Somebody comes to a pastor and they're like, Hey pastor, what should I do? I'm overweight. I need to lose some weight. And the pastor's like, well, you know, the book of Daniel, there's this Daniel fast acting like the Daniel fast is like the way to like lose weight for everybody or whatever. It's like, but we're not exiled from Jerusalem right now for 70 years. Yeah. This is what we do. We're about to do a building project. And all of us pastors down here acting like we know anything about doing a building project, like hire a stinking architect. That's what you're supposed to do. So you're saying, you're saying, get out the way and bond with the worship leader. Because for me, I would say, hey, I'm going to be sharing 30, 40 minutes, an hour on Sunday. You're bringing the worship. But when I walk into that building, if I'm attending for the first time, I hear Dominic before you hear Brian. I'm hearing worship. So where you take us, and I love making that point, as an evangelist kind of pastor teacher, my ministry ends the second I die or Jesus comes back, but worship never ends. So you guys, I know, though we all sing and though we all worship, the worship leader is bringing us into a place and to me, having people go to church, having lost you know, a loved one time, my wife miscarried or her mom passed away, Brian Albright or Katie on staff or whoever's sharing, those little minute clips, what they're just saying that the song means to them, it means so much more rather than just, here's a guy with a guitar, here's someone with a keyboard. So it is, I mean, let my people go that they may worship me, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, the whole heart of the Bible, as you said, walking with him. So for them to my, be on the same uh, My rant, which I'm sorry about ranting yeah. about us pastors, but my rant was actually a prerequisite. But what I was actually trying to get to was, <laughs> I was saying we have an assumption that we we actually know a lot more about things yeah. that are outside of our wheelhouse than we actually do. One of those assumptions for many pastors is I understand what's happening with worship. I understand what's happening in the music component. Yeah. Not realizing that we actually are unconsciously incompetent about mm-hmm. the area of musical worship. And so you don't know what you don't know. And so what I would encourage pastors to do yeah. is assume that they don't know anything. Yep. Assume you do not know yep. what's going on in the realm of musical worship and start to explore and ask questions about like, what is this role? Not just like theologically, what does it mean? But like, what is what is what is the role that worship plays in the church? Yeah. What is the role of the worship leader? What goes into putting together a set? Yeah. Like, and what do what does the worship leader think worship is? Because chances are the worship leaders probably thought about this a lot more than most lead pastors has. Mm. And so they're going to have some thoughts. They're going to probably have read some books and listen to podcasts and listen to teachings way more often than most <laughs> pastors have on the topic. And they're actually going to be able to inform this conversation a lot, a lot more than you might might realize. And closer to the heart. And I made that point yesterday to these guys. They said, you know, sometimes you're in a meeting and the worship leader's there and they're like, why is this guy with the cool boots sitting in the corner on his phone? What's he doing here? And I said to them, well, you should try being the evangelist there. When the pastor's thinking 5, 10, 20 years, I'm thinking people are going to the pits of hell today, the <laughs> days that they are. So it's, it's basically everyone just staying in their lane, but being in the lane together. 
you know so and then i guess i just say for you because you've only got a little bit of time left but what's on the horizon now how many albums have been out you've got how many kids and then you're what you're, you're still doing worship and traveling you're still doing shows you preach and teach as well just summarize kind of where yeah, you are sure. i guess now yeah yeah so last few years were a little interesting i was doing full-time pastor stuff because our church needed help mm. i'm back to like a part-time role at our church now i also didn't do hardly any music for the last three years one because i took a break on purpose the second year because of covid the third year because i just needed to work on marriage stuff and be home mm. and so just this last six months or so i've started playing a little bit more and started to think about an album uh sec another album so at this point um, yeah, moving forward, it's a, if the first half of my life, you know, I'm 41, if the first half of my life was about building and like mm -hmm. developing this thing and creating this like <laughs> thing that God had called me to, then the second half of my life is about giving it away. Mm -hmm. And the, the visual, the picture that comes to mind is like, keep, people could spend months in a, in a, uh, in a guitar lab building a guitar yeah and when the guitar is done it's like the assumption is the work is done but it's actually just the beginning mm -hmm. being able to like share the guitar and i felt like for the last 15 years i've been grinding building investing mm. going to markets that i wasn't in and you know cities that i had never been to and developing this thing I'm done with that. I'm too mm -hmm. old for that, dude. I'm too tired to like keep building the thing. Whatever height I was going to get to of influence and ministry, I got to the height. Now I get to just like share from like a pure place of like love mm. and I don't have to grow anything. I'm not trying to develop anything. So I'm excited about that, man. There's a lot of freedom. Yeah. In that. So uh, this year I'm going to start releasing music again, just probably singles here and there. Mm. Um, I'm leading worship, you know, every month or so it's somewhere else and then at my home church i'm continuing to develop worship leaders in our home church and i hope to be able to put together this really like beautiful curriculum like a hundred videos wow three to five minutes long of the, the theology philosophy um the th philosophical theological practical and relational components of worship culture and leading Amen. worship and just as a resource to the church and our church. So I'm excited about that. I might be able to start doing that this year. So yeah, man, that's the well, stuff. Well, Josh Garrels, when he was on, he said he took a, a break as well for a bit and just now kind of started getting on the road and all the rest. Yeah. So how do people, I mean, guys go up and get on his Instagram, all the rest, check out what Dominic's doing, but watch your website, watch your Instagram, because people yeah. will message you today or when okay. it comes out, you know, and be like, hey man, so, and Go and encourage Dominic. You know, it's yeah. all the Lord, but but people relate to them. I love that when people hit me up and I get to share and encourage them. Sure. Yeah. So DominicBally.com, uh, the website's going through a bit of a revamp. So it's a little under the construction right now, but uh, all my handles are just at Dominic Valley. So mm -hmm. Dominic Valley on, on Instagram, Dominic Valley on YouTube, Dominic Valley on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I'm only posting on those things when I have to. I don't use those things as a social platform for me to socialize. Yeah. So it's very public service announcement related. Yep. So uh, that's the expectation there. Um, and yeah, man, if 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 people want to book me, Dominic Valley Music at gmail.com, I'm starting yeah. to like put together shows and stuff again. So happy to entertain any of those. 
And why wouldn't we, you know, with the world and the way it is, whether you're looking at these elites running around, whether you're talking about eggs, whether you're talking about cities on fire, um, God wants to just use us all as we are practically every day. So I know I look at someone like you or whether it's a preacher, teacher, whether it's someone with a gift of service, just make use of all of it, Lord. You're returning one day. We're going to be with you. That's it. But anyway, any closing thoughts or what? No, man. It's good to see your face. Good to yeah. hear your voice. Good to I know. Be well, we get people. to this age, don't we? And it's kind of like you said, 41. I really believe at 40, like a puberty, what happens? I believe at 40, something happens where you arrive at an age like Moses in the Old Testament, or, you know, the age we see with many in scriptures, that God kind of just almost hits a level and says, hey, this is where you are, and I've built all this. And it, it just correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it's just a different way he establishes us, right? Like you're like, all this stuff doesn't matter the way it did. And now I just want to make use of it exactly what you said. So, yeah. In fact, I mean, it's it's generally it's generally where the midlife crisis lives. Yeah, right? I honestly just came out of a three month midlife crisis. Okay. It's only um, three months. That's good. Yeah, I worked my butt off to make it short, mm-hmm. <laughs> but coming out the other side is kind of the epiphany of like, okay. I don't have anything I have to build or certainly nothing I have to prove or develop or it's like, now I just get to give it away Mm -hmm. and which is really beautiful and freeing, but different. You know, you got all this youthful energy when you're in your twenties and thirties and I didn't realize that would go away. And yeah, did you get like (laughs) 40 and it's like, Oh, like my back just hurt. Yeah. I'm sitting on a wooden bench at 20. I wouldn't have noticed. And now I'm like, why don't I get one of the soft couches (laughs) to sit on? (laughs) Well, how old are you? I'm 43, but you okay, know, a yeah. life of pro skating. I'm probably yeah. 220, 230, jujitsu yeah. a couple times a week. But, you know, I don't think men retire. Like my dad, when he had a stroke, it was worse for him because he couldn't work. I'm not saying be a slave to something, but I just think as long as we're resting in the Lord and we do what he's called us to do in front of us, not to gain favor, but because he cares about people as well. Yeah. That's how my life unfolds. Then, you know, I say it almost every podcast where Ephesians 2.10, where his workmanship God called you to minister, to worship, to pastor. You know, I just affirm what I've seen in you over the years, the, the, the gentleness of heart. I'm sure you've got your own demons at times or the flesh. We all have. But, you know, your intentionality about God's word, loving on people, using the gift. For those listening, guys, that's what we need to do is just say, Lord, we're going to walk by faith, not by sight. What have you given us each day? So listeners, you know, hit up Dominic or tune into his music. You will be blessed. Give it to your stoner uncle who just, you know, loves Bob Marley. He will start listening to Dominic and have the Holy Spirit encounters we're believing for. Um, but would you mind just, you know, any last thought or just even praying for us? No, man, I feel like we covered a lot, dude. I don't have any closing <laughs> thoughts, but I'd be happy to pray for us. Amen. Father, thank you for the way that you have uh, uniquely designed each one of your children and uh, the lanes that you call us into. And I want to pray for every person listening that you would give us a contentment to stay in the lane that you've called us to and you'd give us grace for that and that you would give us the type of a heart that encourages those in the lanes to the right and the left of us and that we would be able to cheer one another on without like comparison. Mm. And uh, we ask for anybody wrestling in their life right now that you would work in and 
through them, that you would give them clarity, that you'd open up the doors that are supposed to be open, shut the doors that are uh, needing to be shut, that are not supposed to be open. We ask for healing upon people mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, that uh, there would be a, a manifestation of your presence and your goodness and your glory on people's lives. And as they experience your presence, that all the stuff that comes with your presence, all the goodness of your kingdom, all the joy and all the contentment and all the life and all the healing would happen. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in. The Apostle Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Look, this is a podcast. This is a skateboarder. This is a guy who plays music. We love Jesus, but we want you to know him. He lived, he died, he rose again. He's offered us his kingdom as we come to him, turn to him, let go of our sins, put our faith in him. If anything, we're believing whatever we put our hands to will be used for his glory. Get to know him, guys. But Dominic, it's been too long. I know at this age, we we run into people as we see them. We've got kids, wives, all the rest of it. But thank you for the time today. It encouraged me and so many. Love you, brother. Connect soon. Thanks, brother. Love you too.